This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Factor. If you want to eat better this year and are looking for fast, healthy, restaurant-quality meals that are ready to eat and easy on your budget, Factor is the perfect solution. Sign and save right now by going to factormeals.com forward slash talk TV 50 and use code talk TV 50 to get 50% off your order. That's code talk TV 50 at factormeals.com forward slash talk TV 50 to get 50% off. Hi, this is George Stevens Jr. You're listening to TV Confidential with Ed Robertson, who's such a great interviewer. (laughs) Well, I I, thank you very much. Ed Roberts with a reminder that Lee Goldberg will join us later on this hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Chuck Carter is with us, along with our guest, Simon Napier-Bell. Simon is with us via Zoom. Simon Napier-Bell, legendary record producer, music manager, author, journalist, entrepreneur, documentary filmmaker, and raconteur. Simon's books on the music industry include Black Vinyl, White Powder, Sour Mouth, Sweet Bottom, I'm Coming to Take You to Lunch, and the book we've been talking about over the past few minutes, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me. All of Simon's books available Amazon.com, other online retailers. Simon also writes a Substack column that you can enjoy for free at Substack.com forward slash at Simon Napier Bell. Earlier you mentioned the Ad Lib, which is one of the clubs, the nightclubs where a lot of music Music yep. deals and yep. a lot, a lot of, another another happening place in the mid '60s was a place called the Scotch of St. James. Do I have the name right? Yeah, yeah. Well, they moved along. You know, Adlib was um, the forerunner, and then everyone moved to the Scotch of St. James, and the Adlib Club burned down. People say the Adlib Club burned down, so everybody moved to the Scotch of St. James. That isn't true. They moved to the Scotch of St. James, so the Adlib Club down, so it got the insurance based on its success before it moved. <laughs> well, I think so. Long time ago, I'm not going to get sued. Mm-hmm. Scottish St. James, Scottish St. James is a wonderful club too. That was a different type of club and a very exclusive part of Mayfair in a little private square. You know, these clubs were so amazing because they only held about two or three hundred people. It's like when you go to a big club now and there's a VIP room and these clubs were the size of that VIP room. Mm. So there'd be no one at all inside there who wasn't a famous face or a higher person in the music or, or film just. I went back there a few years ago to, to, to film an interview about something, and I was astonished how small it was. I mean, they're really, really small places. Yeah. But that was that was probably the club I went to most, was the most elite club at all in the 60s. That, too, gave way to another one a bit later. But they had it, it was about four years, and it was at its peak. It was fantastic. And, you know, the, the Beatles would be there every night, and the Stones would be there every night. I mean, every night. You know, some stage of the night, wherever they were, unless they were playing outside of the country, they'd be there. And it was that sort of place. Yeah, you have, you have a number of Beatles stories weaving through the pages of You Don't Have to Say You Love Me. There's a throwaway line about John Lennon when you talk about the Scotch oh, at St. Yeah, James. That there at that club, yeah. Oh, well, you know, we did drink a lot in those days. <laughs> the, idea was, the idea was to see how much you could drink and then see if you could drink the same amount again. When you could drink, when you could drink no more, then you would see if you could drink the same amount again. I think young people do that today too. They do. Or maybe they don't. They're so so boring today. Nobody knows. Extremely how boring. Generation <laughs> Z. <laughs> there, was, there was one night. I was. I went and sat in the small area, which is for dining with tables and chairs, and I was sitting there, <laughs> very very drunk, about three in the morning. And I just slipped off my chair onto the floor. And it was rather comfortable and nice, so I thought I'll lie here for a bit. 
So I was lying there under the table with, amongst people's legs and chair legs and people's <laughs> legs. And, and then I opened my eyes and I saw crawling towards me under all, in this forest of legs, I saw John Lennon crawling on all fours towards me. So I said, oh, hello, John. Well, you know, what are you up to? And he said, oh, I'm looking for my line. <laughs> but did he ever find it? <laughs> no, he was in the same state as I was. I'm sure he found it and went home with it later. Yeah, but said you don't have to say you love me. <laughs> One of the groups, I don't know whether they performed there or whether they just hung out there, but one of the groups you mentioned that was part of the scene at the Scotch at St. James was the Moody Blues. Was this the time when Denny Lane was the front man, or is this after he Den, left? Denny Lane. Denny, Denny Lane. Denny Lane, yeah. Uh, yeah, they'd have been there. Not necessarily all of them. I don't remember, but I don't even think I knew all of them. But Denny, Denny would be there always every night. We just lost him not too long ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, even in rock groups, there are always one or two people who didn't go out to these places. Yeah. So um, I never got to know that. I only, only knew the places people went out. You know, if you weren't a clubber. I, you know, how can a manager know another <laughs> artist? The art, uh, managers don't usually get to know artists apart from their own artists. Yeah. And le- unless you meet them drunk in clubs like this, there's nowhere else you come across each other. <laughs> oh, back, back, backstage at Live Aid and things. But, you know, mostly you don't meet, you don't meet other people yeah. except at these sort of places. And, uh, you know, I've met and got on with a lot of artists in clubs like that who became friends or very friendly were quite different from artists you manage because the thing about management is it's it's not a a friendly relationship. Of course it's friendly, but it's not the relationship of being a friend. Right. It's it's a a professional relationship. You've got a job to do. Well, it goes back to you're the bodyguard of their work. You're not talked to by them like a friend. You're talked to either with respect because they think you do a good job or sometimes quite demeaningly because they think you know your job is to get the tea but whatever it is it's not like a friend yeah even though they're friendly i mean the group japan i managed i Mm. think i probably had dinner with them 300 times in a year i mean we couldn't have been more friendly but you're still a manager Mm. and when i stopped managing them i stopped seeing them i didn't think because there was nothing to talk about because all you've done every night is talk about their career and what you're doing and what they want and artists as you know are very self-obsessed and if you're not talking about that they're not interested to talk to you and if you're not managing them that's not a very interesting thing to talk about and so however friendly you are you you don't see them in that light but when you meet them to be and and you'll also find that the artist who you had so much to talk about for two three four years so much you could have dinner every night when you're not managing and there's not much to talk about and you didn't understand that all they were interested in is model trains or I mean some rubbish which you don't want to talk about sorry Rod and uh, <laughs> you know it's uh, it's a strange thing you know I stopped managing George and and George was somebody who's absolutely fascinating and interesting about every subject in the world and I didn't see him for quite a while and I met him you know a year later or something uh, when he was already at the peak of the faith talk and um, he came across in a restaurant said hello and he's talked and he was like a completely different person you know this was George all his friends knew so I was talking to me now as a friend because I was no longer managing yeah. none of the mistrust or you know what are you doing for us could you get this wrong or don't get, not allowed to get it wrong um, it was extraordinary and, and this is a person who was you know, he wasn't going to be boring. He was not a boring person ever. He had a viewpoint and everything, knew what was going on in the world. 
And so meeting George a year after I stopped managing him and talking to him was absolute revelation. Fantastic person I saw in a completely different light. But some other other artists I've met later, and you can't believe you've ever spent more than a day with them. I mean, just, God, they're so boring. And then there's artists who I never managed, like, like Bill Wyman. <laughs> Somehow he used to bump into regularly in places like Scottish St. James. Mm. And, you know, we just would meet and talk instantly. And that's, that's it. We both, that's who we wanted to be with. And shout, you know. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. One more item if you're like me and want to eat better this year. Our friends at Factor have more than 35 inexpensive, pre-prepared, ready-to-heat and ready-to-eat, chef-crafted, restaurant-quality, and dietitian approved meals that will make eating better every day, fun, and delicious, and your weekly meal planning a whole lot easier with no prepping, no cooking, and no cleanup necessary. Check out that stuff by going to factormeals.com forward slash talk. TV50. If you go to factormeals.com forward slash talk TV50, you'll find more than 35 different options a week to choose from that are ready to eat and, best of all, less expensive than takeout. Sign and save right now by going to factormeals.com forward slash talk TV50 and use code talk TV50 to get 50% off your order. Factormeals.com forward slash talk TV50. Use promo code talk TV50 to get 50% off your order. That's code TV 50 at factormeals.com forward slash TV 50 to get 50% off. Hi, this is Melissa Manchester and you, you lucky people, are listening to TV Confidential. Simon Napier-Bell is with us via Zoom. Simon Napier-Bell, legendary record producer, music manager, author, journalist, entrepreneur, documentary filmmaker, and raconteur. Simon's books on the music industry include Black Vinyl, White Powder, Sour Mouth, Sweet Bottom, I'm Coming to Take You to Lunch, and You Don't Have to Say You Love Me. All of Simon's books available Amazon.com, other online retailers. Simon also writes a Substack column that you can enjoy for free at Substack.com forward slash at Simon Napier Bell. You're always posting uh, to your Substack. Do you have a new book or new film that you're least able to tease our audience with? Right now, this minute, I'm working on more films than I've ever worked on at one time. That's There's good. Three films in the... Three films, you know, when you work on films, you have to be working on 10 or 12 films to have one come off. Mm-hmm. It's the lowest number of... The best films come off than pop stars. I mean, you know, it's really the, the toughest, yeah. lowest percentage. I've got a film, Orion Williams, who's produced several very big films. He produced the one about Joy Division. Um, and I bumped into him in L.A. a few weeks ago, and, and what are you working on? He's, he actually was working on a film, and I said, what have you got coming up? He said, here's the notebook. Yeah, 118 projects and they, these weren't just idle things all of them were at some stage of development yeah and he, he said only four or five will ever happen you, know, you have to have that many going mm-hmm. last year i had 10 or 12 i was working on and three have come up at once or three actually happening which is quite that's really remarkable but i don't want to talk about them yet because then they won't happen Okay, well then we'll have we, we will have to invite you back on later on in the year, and we could talk about. Well, there's going to be a new there's going to be a new book, I mean, and um, I am going to start. I don't know when in between these films, on a new book, and the new book will be totally. You know, the last book I did, Sam Our Sweet Bottom, was very much about my own life. What is look? I'm in music business, so half the book at least is music business, right. but half of it isn't. And uh, but the new book will be entirely music business. I just, I just wanted to write that, so I was sort of. No, it's just fun stories about my life, which are not music, which right. I want to write. 
Right. But the new book will be entirely about the industry. In a in a way, I haven't really talked about it before, which really makes it clear for everybody how it works and how it functions and what it is. Fantastic. And what what sort of people are in it, and what sort of people. It's, it's very interesting what you might define as the music industry. I sort of define. There's two things. The music industry, you know, the music industry is not about musicians who have gigs and jobs and get, you know, $500 a week for playing in clubs and things. I mean, that's the music industry is about hit artists and hit songs and nothing else. It's, you know, 99% of all the money, the 60 billion a year they make, is about a very small number of hit artists and hit songs. And it's a corporate industry with, with a system for making money. It's an extraordinary industry because. You know, what isn't, isn't a hit is totally luck. And from a, a luck-based business, they've built a vast 60 billion a year industry. It's like building a skyscraper or quicksand. It's an incredibly clever thing to do. But they have system, and, and that system is what makes them so uh, bureaucratic and difficult to deal with and dull. Because when you present something which doesn't fit the system, they're you know, if you have a system on the horses, it's very... I, I've got friends who make money, for, that's what they do. They mm -hmm. gamble on horses. Mm -hmm. They don't gamble. They have a system. Right. It's very boring. You put quite small amounts of money on consistently. You say quite small prize money overall, it makes enough. You live on it. That's your life. And some days, they get tempted to gamble. Yeah. You know, to go, to break the system. They lose money every time. And everyone knows that. If you have a system, you stick to the system, and it's not exciting, it's a poor way of making money. And that's what the industry's like. And so when people go to them and Go to record to get frustrated and say, you know, they don't see it, they won't do it. It's because if it doesn't fit their system, they, they put the industry at risk because those four major companies, which really control everything now, 70% right. of the entire music <laughs> industry, as we know it, is four major companies who now own all the publishing companies too. They have a system, and if they go away from that system, they're in danger of, in, you know, of losing money. And we need them to make money. It's not bad that the money is the primary sort of thing because it's making money which, yeah, that's finances the whole industry. And then you have the outsiders, which are the unsigned artists and the managers. And that's, you know, a successful songwriter becomes part of the industry, a successful artist becomes part of the industry, the corporate industry. Talking about. Managers stay outside always. They never become part of the corporate industry. They can't. They can't negotiate with it if they're part of it. So managers are quite unique, and that's the tone of this next book. Right. We will look forward to that. A question popped in my head when you are talking about people who make money off races, they're not gamblers. That reminds me of something I learned when I wrote my book on James Garner and Maverick, because he, play, you know, he played Brett Maverick, who was, quote-unquote, a Western gambler. But Maverick never called himself a gambler because he, no, he, re he relied on probability. Which which goes it's back not, to what you. It's very boring. It's, no, it is. You know, the, the, I'll tell you the easiest system in the world, and it will work. I mean, you've got the finance to do it. Mm -hmm. Is uh, only to take three major race courses or race meetings of uh, horse racing, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And take three major uh, horse racing events. Only back favourites. Only back favourites, and double your stake every time. You cannot lose. Mm -hmm. You you can be a lot down. You can a lot of money will go down, but if you keep doing it, you'll come back and you'll make money. And then you start there, and you sit, you you know you polish it. You say only back, only back favourites, you know, only back horses which are 
two to one. And you refine it, you refine it, you refine it, and you actually find you can make quite a good living. But don't go away from that system because you'll lose money. You become a gambler. You'll lose your money. And that's how the major corporations over 200 years <coughs> have developed a system in the industry which works and they can make money and turn this thing which is based on luck into a big 60 billion a year solid industry so you can buy and sell shares and go public but don't think they're going to bend to your crazy ideas <laughs> they can't they can't yeah. that's for managers and for aspiring artists and once the artists break and get in the industry they become a solid part of it right they do become they continue being who they are almost without deference to the industry people like elton john actually taylor swift has done his 30s amazing but you get to a point where the industry you're using the industry they're no longer able to tell you how to do things you're just using them you don't really need them but they're there they function so you use them you know the stones do that elton does a few major artists very difficult though to get to that point where you you're above the industry. 70% of the entire thing we call the music industry is involved with those corporations, which probably includes William Morris, the CAA, and the collection societies. The other 30% is where all the creativity comes from. But we need that 70%. They're the government. Absolutely. They're the music industry government. <laughs> yes. And if you want to join the civil service, do, but it's a boring life. <laughs> Very boring life. I have uh, one last question, and thank you. This has been fun to speak with you. There's a few clips on YouTube from a documentary done on you, I think in 66, where you come out and throw the sweater in the car. Oh, yeah, this that's is... my lovely car. I spent $12,000. Does that whole segment with you exist? Because there's only like two brief clips. Do you have the whole, the whole thing? Exists. Yeah, the whole film exists. It was a documentary made, I mentioned it in my book, uh, by ATV, owned by Dick Clark. Dick Clark sold his oh bmg got it no bmg would be the owners it'd be in a bmg vault somewhere okay because uh, there were two other people and you were the third one and uh four four people four david camel david camel was the film director there was a fashion designer an art gallery owner in you yeah well it, the clips look fascinating hopefully that will surface at some point thank you it's been fun and we will look forward to your next book later in the year no, no, next year. Okay, we'll well, some some. I'm gonna make these films first. Okay, so, so, okay, uh, sometime between today and next year, we'll have you back. Hopefully, you'll have a film out. We'll we'll talk about that. Oh yeah, I'll have another film out. Yeah. Excellent. All right, all of Simon's books available Amazon.com, other online retailers. Simon also writes a Substack column that you can enjoy for free at Substack.com forward slash at Simon. Napier Bell. The real George Michael available streaming on demand, Amazon.com. Simon Napier Bell, thank you again for joining us today. Real pleasure. Really fun. Like Cheers, mate. Great way to wake up. <laughs> Good morning, <laughs> mate. Rise and shine. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye, mate. Lee Goldberg will join us when we come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at 
TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.